Have you noticed how you can have the exact same event happen, but that event produces very different consequences, different responses for different people? For example, this week, the Maroons beat the Blues in the first game of the State of Origin. And that is a fact of history now. But that one event would have produced wildly different reactions. For the Blues supporters, probably disappointment, maybe sadness. Maybe that's why I can think of someone who's not uh, here today. For Maroon supporters, jumping up and down from the couch, cheering, maybe singing. That one event produces different responses. Similarly, this week we had the American election. Again, this one event has different circumstances, produces different responses for different people. Well, last Sunday we actually had a very similar event. Last Sunday we read Revelation 15 and 16, and we heard about the seven bowls and the seven plagues that God poured out to complete his final judgment on the world. And what the final chapters of Revelation, as we finish off Revelation, what it does is it teases out the ramifications, the consequences of God's final judgment. Because it wants to show you and I that this one event will produce wildly different consequences for different people. And the final chapters of Revelation does this by describing and illustrating two cities. And so the question that is posed to us in these final chapters is, where do you belong? Do you belong to Babylon, described as the great prostitute? Or do you belong to the new Jerusalem, described as Christ's bride? And so following the seven plagues, from chapter 7, as we read, starts with showing the immediate consequence of God's final judgment. And that is the punishment of the great prostitute. So let's start with understanding who is the great prostitute. And reading from chapter 17, verse 3, if you have your Bible or Bible app open, verse 3, we read that then, then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven he uh, heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abomination of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. The woman, the great prostitute, is identified as Babylon the Great. Babylon was founded in the ancient city of Babel. Babel was the first idolatrous empire where humanity came together in opposition to God. And we read about this in the account of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. 
This rebellion against God was repeated in later of the later city of Babylon. And so in the Bible, Babylon is symbolic of an idolatrous city. And here in Revelation, Babylon is personified as a woman. And it's strongly suggestive that it's referring to Rome. Because Rome back then was personified as the goddess Roma. She was worshipped in Asia Minor, where John's readers lived. But in Revelation, she appears not as a goddess, but as a prostitute. What we learn about the prostitute is that looks can be deceiving. The woman is dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, with precious stones. She's clothed in luxury and opulence. She looks like a queen, but we're shown who she really is. She is a reckless and vicious whore. She's painted as someone who will spread her legs for anyone to get them enticed and drunk on power, luxury, sex, and money. It's a deliberately provocative vision to show us that looks can be deceiving. And we read in verse 7 that the prostitute rides the beast that comes out of the abyss, comes out of the sea, which has seven heads and seven ten horns. We read, we read about the beast of the sea, which represents political power. The seven heads probably refer to the seven emperors who had ruled the Roman world to that point. And the prostitute riding on the beast can represent the seductions of the prostitute can be propped up by political power of an empire or a government. And together, they wage war against Jesus and his people. And you'll notice twice in Revelation 17, verse 8, we're told that the beast once was, now is, not, and yet will come. Once was, now is not, and yet will come. And what this phrasing is conveying is that the beast manifests itself in one form, then it passes away, is not, but throughout history, the beast returns in other forms, yet will come. It's highlighting how the beast will manifest its power in reoccurring political empires and systems throughout history. It's painting a picture that this is a counterfeit God in contrast to the true and living God who is, who was, and who is to come. John is warning his readers not to align themselves with political power because the political winds can change easily, time and time again. And what the vision is showing is that the seductive power of money, sex, power can corrupt empires and governments through all of time. It has the perverse power to master our hearts and thereby direct our lives. It has the power to lead God's people to commit spiritual adultery. And this should stir us up to think about our sin as spiritual adultery. It should help us to see that our sins are never committed in self-isolation. Our sin affects others. Our sin hurts others. And what it's saying is that our lust for money, sex, and power is never just an internal problem. Being intoxicated with money, sex, and power 
will destroy our relationships with others. And above all, it will destroy our relationship with God. Ray Ortlund, in his biblical theology of spiritual adultery in the Bible, explains spiritual adultery more sharply. He says it like this, Spiritual adultery entails more than religious offenses. Whenever God is not trusted fully or obeyed exactly, including in the realm of politics, his people deny the adequacy of his care and protection. So they fend for themselves on their own terms. See, in Israel, the people of Israel committed spiritual idolatry by committing allegiances with the other nations, which involved compromising their worship. Here in Revelation, the early church made allegiances with Rome that compromised their worship. And the church today, we also can be tempted to make allegiances either politically or culturally that compromises our worship. And so Ray is saying that the beginnings of being tempted by the prostitute starts when we don't trust in the adequacy of God's care and protection. We are most susceptible to the prostitute when we try to fend for ourselves. Well, we don't no longer trust that God is caring and protecting and knows what he's doing. And so, yes, things like covenant eyes, accountability, helps keep us from physical adultery. But just as important, we are to hold on to God's covenant with his people, his faithful commitment to love us, to keep us from spiritual adultery. Because what we see in the next chapter, chapter 18, is that it is the love of God that will last forever, not the lusts of the prostitute. In chapter 18, we will see God's destruction of Babylon as the consequence of his final judgment. Despite her glory, greatness, and power, she shall fall quickly, Babylon, in one day, in one hour, we're told. She is no eternal city, as she supposed. In a moment, God will cast her down, never to recover. And you'll notice that in chapter 18, there are three cries of woe over the fall of Babylon. With the first woe, the kings of the earth weep and mourn over the fall of Babylon. With the second woe, it's the merchants of the earth who will weep and mourn. And with the third woe, it's the sea captains and the sailors who will stand far off. See, with the fall of the prostitute Babylon, all the kings, all the merchants, all the sea captains are implicated. The fall of Rome doesn't just affect Rome. The political and economic interconnections were such that when she fell, the cities of all the other nations collapsed around her. And so when God's final judgment comes to destroy the prostitute, God will punish all of the political and economic excesses, injustices, exploitations, fueled and driven by the seductive power of money and power. The end of chapter 18 shows us that Babylon's judgment will be sudden and final. Listen to what the angel says at the end of chapter 18. With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. 
The music of the harpists and musicians and pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker or any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. Babylon's judgment will be sudden and final. And the warning and the call for God's people is to flee from the prostitute. We read, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up in heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. God is calling for a sudden and definitive turning away from the prostitute because God will bring a sudden and definitive end to those who share in her sins. This section of the book of Revelation starts with an invitation from the great prostitute to join her in sexual immorality, to get drunk on money and power, but her ways and ends are exposed in John's vision. But this chapter ends with a very different invitation in chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. It ends with worship. Verses 1, if you jump over to chapter 19, we read, After this I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And what we've been seeing throughout Revelation is that every act in the drama of the book of Revelation is accompanied by worship in heaven. That's something that even myself have been so uh, impressed and marveled at at the book of Revelation. Every major drama, every revealing of who God is, is accompanied with worship in heaven. And it's the same here again in chapters 17 to 19. It's an invitation to first praise God. It's a song of praise which God's people are happy to take up to praise God for his justice in his final judgment, to destroy the prostitute's seductive spirit controlled by Satan that corrupts every institution, government, political, economic, social networks and systems on earth. Global excesses, injustices and exploitation will finally be brought to an end and justice will be served. The song of praise in heaven turns into a second invitation, an invitation to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Verse 7 of chapter 19, we read, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride had made herself ready. Fine linen, bright, clean, was given her to wear. Instead of an invitation from the prostitute, we're invited to be the bride of God's son. Instead of a woman clothed in purple of the empire, we're clothed in fine white linen of righteousness. 
So back to the question at the start. Where do you belong? Actually, it's about who do you belong to? The prostitute? Or Jesus as our groom? Maybe today for the first time, you've realized that you are an adulterer, a spiritual adulterer. And maybe for the first time, you've come to realize how you have been lured into the brothels of our culture. You've seen how looks are deceiving. You've seen how it has overpromised but underdelivered. The good news, friends, is that Jesus has come to love and save harlots like us. Despite our unfaithfulness to God, God sent his son to take our punishment for sleeping with Babylon. And by his blood, he washes away our sins away, making us clean and pure, transforming us from adulterers to being God's beautiful bride. And he vows to never leave us nor forsake us. And when God's final judgment falls, there will be different responses for different people. There will be those who mourn at the fall of the prostitute. But there will be those who will rejoice at the coming of the bridegroom. Friends, turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus' saving death for you. Belong to Jesus Let's rejoice together at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess we've been so unfaithful to you. We've given our hearts to things like sex, money, and power, empty luxuries, false promises. We've been sleeping around, but so amazing that your son Jesus comes to forgive us. Despite all that we've done, your son Jesus comes to cleanse us. Despite all that we've done, your son Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Because he has put to death sin, Satan, and all the havoc that he has done on this world. So we thank you for your son. We thank you for his faithfulness, but we thank you that he has never broken his promise to his people. And so, Father, help us as your cleansed bride. May we be a faithful people to Jesus. Help us to see that our sin is never done in isolation but it hurts our Savior. So may we turn to him in faith, 
May we flee from the prostitute. And may we be wise to live to your glory with the vision to rejoice at the wedding supper of the Lamb. In your Son's name we pray, amen.